Good morning and welcome to Stories in Public Health. I'm your host, Emily Dieter, and this morning I'm being joined by Rosemary Hegner, who's the Director of New South Wales Health Emergency Management Unit. So she's responsible for coordinating the prevention, preparedness, response and recovery for activities um, all across New South Wales. I was lucky enough to see Rosemary present um, at a Women in Leadership Forum recently, and I was really inspired by her leadership story. And so I asked her to join us today and share it with all of us. Thank you for joining us, Rosemary. Thanks for having me. I thought maybe you could start by giving us a bit of a sort of broad overview of your career. It's, you know, the trajectory, how it all started. You had a bit of a different start than some people. So I did. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes careers aren't actually what you expect them to be, and yeah. they take different turns and twists along the way. So. Um, you know, I left school quite early and I became a legal secretary because my parents said you're not allowed to leave school without something behind you. But it wasn't what I wanted to do and I wanted to be outside. So I saw a woman in an ambulance uniform come and pick up my grandfather when he was quite ill um, just before he died and I went, that's the job for me. And um, so I, I eventually joined the ambulance service and made it through to intensive care paramedic. And um, you know, you, you actually you really enjoy the fact that you're doing something really good for somebody and then you go I can do more how can I do more I can teach people I can train people on the road so I started to take trainees and and I thought that was really good and and, um, and you don't realize the impact you have on people until many years later uh, of all the trainees you that you you teach and then of course um, I thought you know I really love doing that but I can see that there's a need to do something else so I jumped into the education role in ambulance and then started to write, rewrite their curriculum. And what was it like jumping? So I guess um, when you're changing your tact in your career, it's always um, a, a fear that you, am I making the right decision? Yes, and I'm familiar with fear. <laughs> fear, lots of fear. So in order to be successful, you actually need courage. So you've got to, I think that the key is disruption throughout your career is the thing that defines your success. Um, So taking challenges and taking a different path sometimes when you're not actually expecting it. And and I think that is reflective of where I actually ended up. But um, uh, yeah, I think that you've got to sort of make choices which cause you a little level of discomfort just so that you can stretch yourself, so. Okay, I've been doing that, that's that's good. Yeah, yeah, good. (laughs) Um, yeah, so after I did it, I, I got in and ran education for a few years and thought, oh, you know, it's really good. I've influenced the whole workforce and, and how I am paramedics and, and introduced a whole suite of new skills for paramedics so that they're more like the, the persons that they are today. Um, and uh, I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, in rural parts of New South Wales, they're missing out on all of these great things. Um, how can I fix that? Well, I then took a different path and went to workforce planning. And for me, it was like playing three-dimensional chess, um, where I had to make because sh- nobody really young people don't want to go to the bush, they don't want to go to a remote location. So I had to create a whole suite of incentives. But it was about making sure that the people of New South Wales, or, no matter where they live, had access to an ambulance, a well-qualified ambulance service. Did the incentives work? The incentives worked. Um, I got to a point where three playing three-dimensional chess, I didn't have a vacancy in the state. Oh, that's um, great. For any longer than about three weeks, which was pretty good because yeah. it meant that, you know, um, operationally ambulance services were being delivered across the state. So it was it was really challenging. Um, people didn't like being sent to those locations. It was definitely took me outside my comfort zone having to play in the industrial relations space. 
um, because it didn't feel like that that's what we were trying to tr achieve anyway. It was all about patience. Um, and, and, and so, but it was really rewarding to know that there weren't vacancies and so people got the care that they needed. So that happened and then um, there was a bit of a displacement. So I was forced into a change and a through a restructure and I took up um, clinical redesign. And I don't know what that means. So clinical redesign in New South Wales Health is a way of looking at um, what's the current state, is it effective, is it efficient, and then turning it around and innovating, using innovation practices to actually create a new state. Okay. So I, I started that and um, was that's an interesting story because I started what is now, which would be known to people in the community, this whole new ambulance station infrastructure project has just happened and you'll see ambulance, massive ambulance stations popping up everywhere. That I started that program in the analysis phase. That's amazing. To look at what was the population growth going to be like over the next 25 years, 30 years, and we were able to target where the stations are to best serve the community. So I did that, but then I wasn't satisfied because there's always a little bit more. There's a little bit more. And so the little bit more became, I went into the Ministry of Health and uh, worked with them to build and create the Centre for Healthcare Redesign, um, which was actually to teach people how to uh, use innovation in their work location to improve the system. And 10 years later now, it's uh, strong and uh, fully accredited and continuing. So it was a transformational change where we didn't do anything, we didn't look at ourselves, we didn't analyse ourselves in that sort of work process space. We did in clinical, but we didn't in work process. And, and it's still going strong. So did that for a while, and then um, an opportunity came up to be, to work in the, what was then called the Disaster Management Unit, and I went, oh no, I'd be bored with that. Really? I'd be really bored. It sounds so interesting, it's yeah, disaster no, management. No. <laughs> bored, it's like my perception of what they did, I just thought I'd be bored, but I, gave it a go anyway and I thought oh I can make this what I want. This is all about relationships. This is all about prevention. I like this. So that's what led me down the path to where I am. It was about providing leadership in places where people really were unsure about how to even attack a problem and uh, reframing them and designing a way in which not only were the community protected, but hospitals would have a, a lesser impact in times of natural disaster. Yeah, so that's mainly what that role involves, is yeah. the planning run when disasters happen, so yeah. everything's ready to go. Absolutely. So about 80% of the role is actually prevention and preparedness, which is great because the, the more effort you put in there, the quicker you recover because you're building that sort of resilience that everyone's going, oh, resilient, let's get on the resilience bandwagon. Resilience is all about how much you prepare. Yeah. And so therefore, that, that's the nice part of, of, of that. And so I've been able to transform the health system, which was fundamentally fairly heavily reliant on a central state HASVAC, to now being, which is a health services functional area coordinator, someone to say, yep, do this, that, that and the other, to a situation where each of the local health districts has, has that capability oh, okay. themselves now. Oh, that's um, and they come together only under the state level when the situation is so big or traverses multiple local health districts. And what sort of emergencies does it cover? Like what sort of things? Yeah, so we, we cover all natural disasters, so storm, floods, um, fires, 
you know, uh, we've done, we do a lot of prevention work in the hostile environment, so, you know, the event planning, the counter-terrorism components, um, and it's all about how do you manage or prepare for the worst possible case scenario. We've looked closely at incidents around the world in those areas to work out, well, can you, is it possible to model what the fallout or the casualty consequences might be? And the answer is yes. So you can actually work out that, you know, a bomb blast is going to give you category, this many, this percentage category one patients, this percentage category two, this percentage category three. Um, and then, but a shooting gives you a different flow. So it, it's really quite interesting. That, it's actually more predictable than you think. Yeah, I never thought that it would be like that yeah, at all. Yeah. I never thought you could do modelling around it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you've had a bit of a change recently, is that right, with the Canberra role? Hmm. So, um, like all things, you're always looking to challenge yourself. Some people. <laughs> okay. So, I'm always looking to give myself a new challenge. And I had the opportunity to join the Senior Executive Development Program for New South Wales Health. And it's about leadership and future leaders of the health system. And um, it was a course like nothing I'd ever experienced in my entire life. How did you get that? Did you put yourself <coughs> forward for it? Yeah, I, I, I put myself forward for it. And had it was a, a bit of a competitive process, but managed to be selected. Uh, I'm just so grateful that I was. Um, but was put forward for that program. And uh, it, it, delved, it, it was completely designed to look at the way in which people who are leaders think, how they react to disruption, how they manage people, how they uh, stick to their values and actually deliver services. And part of that, every component piece of the course, we were disrupted, absolutely disrupted. So, you know, turn up on day one and they said, yes, we're going to give you a challenge. We want you to look at um, uh, youth suicide and self-harm okay and we'll get you to talk to industry experts and blah 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 they're waiting for your calls here's your phone number to ring so no easing in so i no no idea that that was likely to happen no background about who the people were just a telephone number nothing to tell me how long i had to speak to this person nothing just a phone number go and ring them okay thank you were you nervous or worried or So, so it's like, okay, so I've joined this program, I'm Rosemary Hanger, and this is where I come from, and, um, you know, can you help me understand your role in the prevention of youth suicide? And so that's how I, f- I framed it, and I said, and we started talking, and I said, may I ask you a question? And he said, yes. I said, do you have any idea how long we're supposed to be talking for? <laughs> Did he know? And he said, yes. <laughs> Goal. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so it was a, it was a really interesting because there were no rules, there yeah. were no instructions, there was nothing. We just had to make the best out of it, bring back, and then transform that into uh, potentially uh, a position. Uh, come back together in a team. Five of us in that team all had different experiences with the people we interviewed. Brought our information together, and they said, "Now we want you to make a strategic project on how you're going to fix it." Okay. So it was coming up with the concept of what way we'll jump down, you know. There he's, and obviously conversations was the key um, for youth suicide. So the percentage of conversations that kids have today with their significant adult uh, members is only seven minutes a week. No. Yeah. And so, you know, technology is a great solution 
but also it's become part of the problem yeah. because human contact is is one of the most important things. So we framed all of our work around how do we um, work to identify somebody who's escalating in to a potential problem and we identified a gap in the market of where everybody was touching, you know, approaching it from their service perspective. We found the gap which was actually teaching teenagers how to recognise it in their friends. So it was a peer-to-peer an assessment to be able to go, hey, he's not gaming online the same way that he normally yeah, would. Yeah, that's a really good so, idea. Um, so it was a really great project, but it certainly is started from saying, here, have a phone call, um, and we're just presenting those those results to the department now. So so it actually is now like an actual project. It wasn't just a... Yeah, yeah it was an actual a, project that we did day. over 10 months. So, um, so that was that. Um, but the course itself, the, how come I'm in Canberra, is because part of the course you had to take two placements, one internal to your organisation, inverted commas, and one um, external. So I worked with Ambulance, and I've worked with Ambulance for, you know, 30-odd years, obviously different roles, and I thought, well, now's the time to learn more about the system of health and how does it work. So I spent some time with uh, the Deputy Secretary System uh, Purchasing and Performance, to go, okay, our, the health system is fundamentally a, a purchaser-provider model. So I'll understand what the purchaser wants from the provider. So I spent several weeks with Susan Pearce learning what the ministry expects of their local health districts, and then I jumped into a local health district as the executive director of clinical operations, and which was something completely foreign to me, yeah. a completely new language, um, absolutely disruption to the max, going, I have no concept of... I, look, I'm not going to know anything, and realised suddenly that I actually did have the skills to help them drive their change and their performance. What are some of those transferable skills? Um, I guess I, I, the key that I like to tell people now is leadership is not about the positions you've held. Leadership is the way you think, the way you solve problems, and the way you guide people to the outcome. That's what leadership is about. And prior to that, I thought, well, okay, I've only worked in ambulance. But that's not true, because in ambulance, I've amassed a whole suite of skills. Uh, My communication skills, my listening skills, my analytical skills, my problem-solving skills, my organisation and planning, all of those things, my project management skills, have all come together. They're all skills, they're skills-based, and they're transferable across any industry. So I could even quite comfortably, at my position now, go beyond the health system and go, I know that I would make a difference. Yeah. So where's the next step? I don't know. I think that's a really good point for people because I think, especially in academia, um, not that everyone who listens is in academia, but we don't realise that we do have a lot of transferable skills Uh, to a lot of different roles. So that's really good to hear. So sorry, I interrupted. It's it's actually, it's a really good point. Most people don't think that once they've chosen a, a work stream, you know, a vocation or work stream or profession, they don't think that they've got transferable skills, but people are transferring their skills to different places all of the time, you know. We have people in health who start off as nurses that become managers who go into consultancy firms, the same as doctors. Mm. So they're all very translatable skills because they're about how do you manage, build a rapport, it's about how do you manage relationships, it's about... You know, even in the health system, it's about the diagnostic skills that you have. Well, 
the rest of industry is dying for our diagnostic skills. They are just screaming out for health personnel to jump ship and go and help them understand what's the problem yeah. because we're actually trained perfectly designed to f look at what's the problem. Yeah. And so they're the skills that people are looking for in us. Okay. That's good to know. I think I'm good at seeing what the problem is. Mm. And So sorry, I interrupted. Um, you were doing the course and then that led to your work in Canberra. Yeah, so I went to the clinical ops role in Canberra, and um, it, which is actually down in the southern New South Wales local health district. And uh, it, it's a district that's actually, it, geographically, it's, it's challenged. It's got small hospitals. It doesn't have a major referral hospital. So that means you know, many of the patients that get injured in southern New South Wales have to be transferred to Canberra. You know, there's lots of cost, so they were having difficulties with containing their costs. And uh, I said to the chief executive, I could see some gaps that I think I could help you with. And he said, well, would you like to, what do you think? And I said, well, I think, you know, we could transform this local health district over a period of 12 months to three years if you just had somebody who knew strategy and leadership to support you. And he went, okay, that'd be great, write a PD. And he did, so I, I'm sitting in that position for 12 months just to help the district build its capability to transform itself into a high-performing local health district. Yeah, and so there's a few things I want to touch on from your story. Um, Going to him and saying that, like, you've got a lot of confidence in I can help with this. Has it always been like that? No. Have you, <laughs> has that built over time, yes. that confidence in yourself, just with each challenge? Yeah, or? so I think um, the Senior Executive Development Program was the, the key point for me to turn. So, you know, everybody has this imposter syndrome. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It's this little voice in the back of your head going, you couldn't possibly do that. I was speaking to... Uh, a young man yesterday who's just returned from London Ambulance Service he said you know I want to go for the next job but I haven't been a superintendent and I went well it's not about the job it's about the way you think um, and it's that imposter syndrome we go oh, I can't possibly do that because I don't have all the competencies for that position criteria well you know very few people do and so it's fundamentally about going okay in my head I can translate I have a set of skills so I've had to train myself to go, imposter, no, what I do have is a set of skills that would actually apply really well here. And I'm gonna take it forward and say, this is what I have to offer. And I think that, um, that that's completely scary because you're challenging your internal imposter when you verbalize it outwardly. And um, you know, it takes an enormous amount of courage to do that. And I just went, oh, well, you don't get anything if you don't ask. And so it's built over time. So it's built over time. <laughs> and um, another thing, this is a little bit to the side, but when I saw you present at the Women in Leadership Conference, um, you've got like a lot of presence and you present really well to a room full of people. Again, was that something that was learned over time or have you always been a natural public speaker? No, I'm actually an introvert. Really? Yeah, yeah, I am. I would not have gotten that. No, no, I know that. <laughs> um, it's come over time. So I think uh, in my time in education where I actually... When you focused on loving what you do and you want to share with, with people how to achieve that, you start to develop skills and confidence because you understand your subject matter, okay? So it becomes easy to teach. And then it was a case of, well, I'm teaching, so it's not about me, I'm teaching a subject to others. And so in that frame, 
I can be very confident because I know my subject. How do I speak about myself in the same way? Well, actually, I know my subject now. I know who I am. I know what my purpose is. And so I'm the subject matter expert of me. And that's how come I can present with presence. And you talk, you've talked a lot about sort of purpose and wanting to do the next thing, not for yourself, but for the community and to yeah. help people. Has that always been your driver? Have you known deep down that's why you were doing it? Or is that sort of something you've had to learn? Um, I probably knew that when I was about 18 or 19. I completely understand that it doesn't come to everybody quite that way. Uh, you know, circumstances lead you to down your path. Um, the, the, they weren't circumstances that I would have ever un- realised but you know as a 10 year old I was in, at my grandparents place and there was a massive car accident out the front with a woman's significant head injuries and my mum went out and did some help them while the am- we waited for the ambulance another occasion at the other grandparents place a motorcycle had an accident right across the road um, we went out and, and the, the pa- pillion passenger was deceased they're not events that have massive recollection to me in my lifetime but the fact that one human gave to another human and so you know with with a view to making a difference and and helping and so you know in me I loved animals you know I love animals I've, I've you know got a dog and it's about the caring for those animals and then that just translated into I know the caring for people and the purpose came about, you know, like I said when I was about 18 when my grandfather died and I went, yep, that's that's what I want to do. I want to be able to help people at their most vulnerable time to have the best chance of a survival or recovery. And has it made it easier for you to be braver having that purpose underlying? Absolutely. So I think the other thing, and I'll, I'll actually let about a bit about me as well, I had a son, I've had two sons, but my youngest son was born with a disability. So if you think about your purpose in life, what is the core that makes you tick? It's about helping others. You know, I had a son and I helped him. He now is a member of the community, living independently with, with others, but he's, a, he's an independent young man and it was about going, okay, I know that my, the purpose for me was to actually help him to be successful and recover. He's never going to recover, but he's he's a productive member of the community. And and it you've got to be really lucky to understand what your purpose is. What do I know about my purpose now? I thought my purpose was only in the healthcare field, but my, my purpose is actually bigger than that because it's about the service to people. Yeah. So doing leadership presentations to me is connected to my purpose because it's about sharing my experience to help others learn. It's about growing people. It's about helping people. So it's, it's, it's something that's evolved from just, you know, fundamentally it was helping, you know, sick people to now it's a, actually I can help anybody. Yeah. yeah. And do you have any tips for people that might not have it so concrete within them, themselves? Um, You've you really got to, uh, I guess that's that whole emotional intelligence piece you've really got to ask yourself what is it that makes you happy where where is your sweet spot when you come when you go to work is does 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 your work actually give you a sweet spot where you can go i really love this this is really Mm. cool because if it doesn't try something else Mm. 
because we've got to stay at work for a long time now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's okay to not be happy with, and it may take several people several iterations to find what it is that actually is their core sweet spot, and therefore they can start to define their own purpose in life. So. I think yeah. that's the key is it's all a journey and you yeah. don't really know. Experimenting and noticing. I like Absolutely. that. And before when you were talking about um, your different roles, it sounds like you've had a lot of success in those different roles. What do you think are some of the things, especially in areas you know, if you've moved and you haven't necessarily known a lot about something, what's made you successful when you're in each of those roles? What are some of the core things you think are Tenacity. Useful? Tenacity. <laughs> <laughs> that's good because I've heard that I'm tenacious. <laughs> Tenacity. Um, look, I, I think... It's obviously it's linked to your values that you want to do a good job. Um, it's tenacity and it's actually listening. So the more that you listen, and, and my grandmother used to always say, "You've got two eyes. You've got two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. Use them appropriately." So watch and listen what people do and say, and and save the talking for later. A lot of people will fall into the fact that I'm a leader. I've got to talk. I actually know I don't. I have to listen, and when I'm ready. When I speak, he'll know what why we're going. Yeah. yeah. So taking it all in first. Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, I'm just going to quickly take a look at my cheat sheet of questions because I'm just conscious of time. Oh, here's a good one. Um, what do you hope to achieve from here on out in your career? Do you have a plan, or are you kind of happy just going and seeing what happens? I'm absolutely uh, happy to follow the river of life. It's just one of those things now. Um, I'm really proud of what I've achieved in all of my roles. I actually recognise in myself that there's really no limit to what I could potentially do. And it's funny because people think that they know what you should be doing. And the most important thing is that I know what I don't like to do. So they say, oh, you should do a more operational job. No, actually, I like to grow people. So what will I do in the future? I don't know where it'll take me. You know, at the end of this 12 months, will I go back to ambulance? Will I go, you know, stay in southern New South Wales local health district? I don't know. But it really doesn't bother me. And I'm not I'm not frightened by it. So it's an awesome spot to be in. Yeah, that you, really is. When you get to a point in your career that you go, it doesn't matter what happens now. I know that what my next thing will be will be something that will be good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, and so I've got two final questions, if that's okay. I'm just conscious of time. Any big lessons learned that maybe you had to learn the hard way that we could share with people so maybe they don't have to learn the hard way? Okay, so the number one lesson is be true to yourself. So never vary from, don't, don't sway from your, your own values. Um, and, and be yourself. You know, it's okay to be you. It's okay to, you know, be different. It's okay to think differently. It's okay for all those things. Don't try and fit into the frame that you think is the way people should do things. It doesn't serve any purpose. Mm. I'll try and work on that. <laughs> um, and the last question I like to finish with, and I'm sorry, I don't think I prepped you for this, is do you have a favourite book or a movie or something you've read or watched that's inspired you or changed the way you've thought about the world? <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. Oh, I like that one. It's one that I use and I recommend to people, and it just it, people go Kung Fu Panda, aren't they? And it's all about um, an individual that's not conformist to the rest of the community. Yeah. They're a bit odd, a bit eccentric, but the lesson there is to look into the mirror because the the true champion is within. And that is a good movie. I do really like. Yeah, it. it's, it's funny movie. as well. Yeah, it is. <laughs> 
Uh, do you have any sort of last messages or anything I've missed that you wanted to cover? No, I just think it's, you know, your if your career is only just starting, you can make it anything you want it to be. Just listen to your head, your heart and your gut. Yeah, it's And exciting. you'll be fine. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, and thank you everyone for listening. <laughs>